Welcome to this edition of Journals of Spiritual Discovery, brought to you by spiritualteachers.org. I'm your host, Sean Nevins. Hello everyone, this is Sean Nevins with spiritualteachers.org and welcome to the podcast. My guest this episode is Bart Marshall. Bart is the author of The Perennial Way and The Christ Sutras, as well as several new books that we'll discuss in this episode. We'll also delve deep into what I think is a core aspect of Bart's message called Ultimate Betweenness. You can see Bart in person at the upcoming TAT meeting, which will be April 5th through the 7th. It's really going to be an amazing lineup of speakers. In addition to Bart, there'll be Paul Hederman, Paul Constant, Paul Rezendez, and Norio Kushi. You really should go to this one. And if you're interested in it, check out tatfoundation.org and look for the link to the upcoming meeting. As always... If you want more great interviews, visit spiritualteachers.org and look for the podcast tab. Thank you for listening and enjoy this episode. Well, I just wanted to thank you, Bart, for taking time out of your day to do this interview. I really appreciate that. Well, it's my pleasure, Sean. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. And uh, I wanted to tell people who are listening that uh, I don't I don't really intend to get into... Uh, much of your background or your spiritual resume, if you will, in this interview, and uh, but let people know that uh, for that that you've been interviewed on uh, Conscious TV, as I recall, and uh, Bat Gap, uh, and then you're also in the film Closer Than Close, so people can uh, turn to those three sources to definitely hear about your uh, your background story, which is is worth uh, listening to for sure. Yeah, I, I, I've been over that a uh, number of times, and of course, I never mind doing it again. I, I, you know, I hear people that are constantly telling their stories or pieces of their stories over and over again, and I, I kind of feel sorry for them. But on the other hand, it, it may, it may, <laughs> may serve a purpose. So, you know, I, I never object, but I appreciate you just kind of pointing to those other sources. Yeah. So, really, the impetus for this interview is uh, is an essay that that you wrote, and it's on your site, selfinquiry.org. Uh, and I'd like to start off talking about that, and then we'll just see where we go from there. But I really feel like this is uh, this is one of those gold nuggets that, in the vast amount of material that on the uh, spiritual quest on the internet, that it really deserves to be revisited. And that is uh, your essay, which I believe is called uh, Ultimate, yeah, it's called Ultimate Betweenness. And there's just a sentence that I wanted to read to start us off. Uh, You wrote that there are two main things I think are worth studying. One is how to wake up from this dream we call life. And the other is how to get what you want within it. As it happens, the formula for both is the same. So could you, could you give people uh, uh, an overview of what do you mean by ultimate betweenness? First of all, I, I need to point back to Richard Rose, who's the originator of the term betweenness and ultimate betweenness as well. And the concept or the idea of betweenness is out there in many forms. Um, it's a, you know, you can find it in all the ancients, um, you know, and it has to do with uh, your thoughts create the world, essentially, that sort of thing, which, which you find in Buddha, Christ, everything, everyone. So um, in that regard, it's not, uh, you know, unique. Um, but the way Rose talked about it, uh, for me, sparked uh, kind of a deeper thinking about it. And um, and I turned out to to be an, inter- an integral part of my waking up, um, which is the ultimate betweenness part. So betweenness without the ultimate in front of it is is not entirely different from um, the concept of law of attraction, or the, I like to call it the law of creation, because it's not so much that you're attracting things that are already there, because that's not the cosmology or metaphysics that I've come to understand. 
um, it, it's creating something that isn't there until you bring your attention to it. So it's a, lo- a law of creation. And uh, betweenness is essentially a way of holding your head to uh, m- turn events into your fa- in your favor. Uh, but it's a very, very tricky thing um, because uh, you can't just use it willy-nilly because you want a new car or something. I mean, people do, and maybe th- maybe it works. I don't know. Um, but for me, it's a, it's a way of life. And it has to do with, well, first of all, you know, I, my shorthand version of describing it is it's where desire meets surrender. Um, in other words, if you have a very strong desire, uh, uh, a very well-focused intent, um, but can maintain that attitude in your head of, if it's not God's will that I have this, then I'm okay with that. And you have an indifference to the outcome. It's a powerful desire, but an indifference to the outcome. And essentially that's betweenness. And it, it certainly gets to the, you know, my will, not thy will uh, sort of thing. And so uh, in thinking about, uh, you know, uh, how to describe it to others, um, I broke it down into four uh things that could be talked about even though it's it's not divisible in any way it's a it's a it's a gestalt it's a it's an ephemeral sort of a way to hold your head but um i talk about it in four aspects um the first is the intention the desire a powerful desire uh, if you don't have that you got nothing um and the the second aspect is the a confidence or a faith that this can really happen um, if you have a desire and it's just sort of whimsical and you think, oh, but that could never happen to someone like me or I don't deserve it or I'm not worthy or whatever, uh, then you've shot yourself in the foot. So you need to also be confident that, that the gift will be given. Um, and then, you know, I, I think an attitude uh, that's important is uh, is gratitude. So while you have this powerful desire and a confidence and a faith that it will come to fruition, you're also extremely grateful for things just as they are. And, of course, you you have gratitude for the thing which you expect to be uh, delivered as well, but also gratitude for things just as they are without this desire being fulfilled. And so that, that's, a, I think, a, a fertile way to be holding your head. Just, you know, here's some, in other words, let's just use the word God. You know, God, I really want this, um, and I, I have faith in your ability to give it to me, and I know that it's coming, but I'm so grateful for everything that I have right now before this happens. You know, thank you for everything, and if it doesn't. And then the fourth part is, uh, but thy will be done. If it's not your will that I have it, then that's fine with me. You know, my, thy will, not my will. Uh, and that produces a, you know, a, a, a posture of indifference that is that can prove, um, you know, uh, very fruitful. In regards to the intention part of that, I, I you know, I'm familiar a little bit with the law of attraction. And uh, my understanding would be that there's a, certain aspect of being able to picture what it is that you want or visualize what it is that you want. Um, how, how does intention work with something like, uh, I'd like to be spiritually awakened? Is that, yeah, that's, that, that seems vague in a way. Yeah, that's the ultimate betweenness aspect. When you, when you use this mechanism for the purpose of spiritual awakening, uh, Rose called it ultimate betweenness. And, uh, you know, that's really the first time that, you know, that I had betweenness happen to me uh, was right before uh, I woke up in 2004. Um, I discovered or realized that I had been in a state of ultimate betweenness uh, right before it happened, the day before Pet put me into it and I didn't come out of it. Um, and then on the plane, you know, the gift was given. Um, so when it's applied to uh, spiritual enlightenment, self-realization, whatever you want to call it, um, that's where the term ultimate betweenness comes in. And again, that's uh, Rose coined that phrase. Um, and so uh, as far as applying it, um, which I didn't intentionally apply it because I wasn't that, you know, 
facile at, at, at working the, the system particularly. I, it kind of came upon me, and after, after the fact, I sort of reverse-engineered some theories about it. Um, so I wasn't really actively practicing it um, during my uh, seeking years. Um, but if one was to actively practice it, uh, your desire would be a very powerful desire um, to know the truth, however you want to describe that to yourself. But uh, And it has to be, when I say very powerful, um, I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, it, you have to want truth at all costs. In other words, if it's going to you know, make you homeless, you know, dead broke, uh, you know, you're going to lose your wife or your girlfriend, or it's going to drive you insane. Um, you, you have to be willing to have that happen. It's not going to be asked of you. You know, I hate to turn to the back of the book and, you know, you know, give you the, the good news, which, you know, but the good news is it is not overwhelmingly the reports are it's never asked of you, but you need to be willing to <clears throat> have it taken from you. Uh, a, a useful prayer is whatever stands between me and truth, or if you're speaking in a in a devotional aspect uh, to the higher power, whatever stands between me and you, take it from me. And you have to mean it. You have to want truth at all costs. Um, and that's that's a powerful intention. If you have caveats and other things that you want, uh, the divine will do its best to give you everything you ask for, but it's going to be really, really hard if you have a lot of things that are in conflict with each other or you know, that sort of thing. It's, but if you only have one desire, and it's a very, very powerful desire, um, that uh, puts you in a position where it can happen relatively quickly. And so you sort of apply these principles, the same principles, what I want is truth, I want it at all costs, um, I know that it can happen to me. That's the faith and the confidence part, which is a kind of a difficult part when you're dealing with um, uh, ultimate truth, uh, self-realization, that sort of thing, because we don't really think that deep down, no matter how intense of a seeker we are, we don't really think we're worthy of it. You know, in the back of our yeah. in the back of our mind, you know, it's only for you know very special people in history that get religions named after them and that sort of thing. And and uh, even even meeting Rose, who is like in in some respects just an ordinary guy, that was a huge thing for me, because now I had you know a model of someone who is relatively ordinary, um, who woke up, who became enlightened. And I said, wow, you know, that it really can happen to ordinary people. But by the same token, uh, Rose was a you know a powerful personality and had lots of attributes of character that I did not attribute to myself, and so he was you know also kind of in the category of well he's he's special and I didn't put myself in that category, um, and for me, uh, what kind of broke that barrier was when some of my friends started waking up, uh, including you. And uh, these are people that, you know, I knew before and after, and I knew damn well they were ordinary people because I'd been friends with them and done stuff with them. And so now it really became, wow, this really can happen. You know, this gun I'm playing with is loaded. Uh, this can happen to anyone. It could even happen to me. And so the, the faith and confidence aspect uh, kind of kicked in at that point for me. Um, and the gratitude part, you know, I don't know. I've, I've, I've always kind of been a person who's grateful for everything, and that wasn't too hard for me. I don't know that I ever did it on purpose or whatever, but, you know, that was something that kind of came naturally. Um, but the indifference part of it, that is not something you can do on purpose. Uh, that is, in my estimation anyway, um, is going to be extracted from you. Uh, and in my case, it was a relatively uh, uh, dramatic um, passage where um, an extreme surrender of everything took place. Um, and I was left in a state of uh, complete indifference to whether I ever woke up or was ever enlightened. Um, and I completely, I, I surrendered so much, I actually apologized to God for being such a whiner about, you know, always wanting this. And I'm sorry I always kept bothering you about it. You've given me a wonderful life, and I really don't want it anymore. Um, thank you for everything I have now, and, and forget it. I won't be asking for self-realization anymore, and thank you very much. So that, that surrender was kind of extracted, and I think that's the way it's going to happen in most cases when you're, when you're dealing with... Uh, 
uh, betweenness in regard to um, waking up with with ultimate betweenness, as Rose would call it. So that <clears throat> that fourth element, indifference, then is uh, you said it's not something that you can really practice. So you, you don't you don't recommend that. You know, when I'm reviewing my day, how my day went at the end of the day, like, oh, God damn it, I wasn't being indifferent. <laughs> you know, I got I to gotta get better at that. Yeah, it's it's a tough one to practice. Um, the, the only way that I can uh, kind of uh, talk about a way that one might practice it is while in prayer. Um, and it's, prayer is... Uh, you know, one of the major things that I, I feel very secure talking about to everyone, to the, a, a powerful prayer life, whatever you consider that. I know prayer is a four-letter word for some people that grew up Catholic or whatever. You know, it has all sorts of connotations that are not useful in the context we're talking about. But some sort of, you know, 24-7, 365 communication with whatever you consider as a higher power. And while you're in communication with that higher power, um, you frequently say, uh, you know, but thy will be done, you know, thy will, not mine. And it's actually, you know, um, in, in things other than uh, self-realization, if you're using between us for other things and, and praying for other things, um, it's actually a fail-safe mechanism that it's fortunate to have in place. Um, I can't tell you how many things that I have thought that I wanted and intensely desired and actually prayed for that I didn't get. And in retrospect, I'm so goddamn glad I didn't get them. It was not in my best interest to get those things. I was just too stupid to know that at the time I was asking for them. So this um, thy will not mine is also a failsafe for the person who's praying as well. Uh, but that is one that is one way that's that's an indifference you know it's saying i'm i'm not attached to the outcome of my desire i have this desire i'm going to tell you about it i'm going to tell you about it in no uncertain terms um and yet i'm not attached to the outcome if it never comes to fruition then i'm okay with that um and and you can in in, a, in some ways you can kind of practice that as a, as a as a state of mind as a way of being and uh, and i think of now I think of betweenness as mostly a way of life. You know, it is my way of life. Um, I don't use it for specific things or anything. It is just my way of being. Is that you know, if I have a desire um, and confidence that it can happen, gratitude kicks in automatically, and I immediately follow it up with, "But Thy will be done." Uh, you know, it's uh, Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, as before he was arrested, uh, he says, "Abba, all things are possible to you." Um, if it if it be thy will, take this cup from my lips. But if I must drink it, thy will be done. Uh, going back to intention for a moment, um, and, and I'm just speaking for my for myself. Uh, there can be a lot of uh, a lot of lack of clarity about what it what is it that I'm really after here you know I'm thinking about meeting Richard Rose for the first time well he's enlightened this enlightenment that seems really cool maybe that would be the answer to to my problems but really digging down for for me really digging down to what's my What's my actual question? What is it that I actually want here? It was a long process. Do you have uh, Do you have any advice in terms of uh, reaching that clarity more quickly, or is that something that you personally help people with? Um, I, I do help people with that actually, um, and it's one of the very earliest things I talk about. Some talk with uh, to someone who. Uh, seeks me out, and that is, what do you really want? Uh, because, uh, like you say, we're not really clear about what we really want. Now, the, the knee-jerk reaction for people who, say, would contact me would be, well, I want to be enlightened, or I want self-realization, or I want truth, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and that's going to be just, I mean, that's the sort of the default answer, you know. Otherwise, why would you be on Skype with me, or whatever? Um, but then it, there's things that are so much deeper than that. And so the next question really is, well, why do you want enlightenment? You know, why do you want truth? Uh, so start thinking about that. And 
in almost, you know, in almost all cases, I won't make a blanket statement, but in almost all cases, the reason someone wants truth or says they want self-realization or enlightenment is not for the thing itself. They want it for some other purpose. Um, it's going to make them a better person. It's going to give them a better life. It's going to make them feel better about themselves. It's going to clear up health problems. It's going to give them better relationships, whatever. There's always, you know, uh, there's no purity uh, in the intent. Um, and there are many other things that are hanging off of it. I want enlightenment because uh, I've known, you know, a few people who want enlightenment. They, they say they want enlightenment or self-realization, but my observation of them is that's not really what they want. What they want is to be a famous guru that people idolize. And if you've got to be enlightened to get there, then okay, so what? You know, I'll, I'll do that. But they don't want it for the truth itself. And um, you can't fool the divine. You know, if, if, you're, if you're holding back your true intentions, uh, you know, things are not going to work out the way you hope. Um, so uh, that kind of self-inquiry into what do I really want and why do I want it? Um, and if it's not, if, if you don't want uh, truth for, for its own sake, that's okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. The only thing wrong with that is to be, uh, you know, deluding yourself about what you're up to. And, and then you're, you know, uh, the old Chinese saying, you know, man who chases two mice, cats is none. So you think, hmm. you, you think you're doing one thing, but you're doing something else and uh, you're, you're, not, uh, you're not doing yourself any favors. Um, so come into a clear, self-honest evaluation of what it is you're really up to and why is, is kind of like step one. I mean, and if you're not in truth, if you're not after truth for its own sake, then you're, it's much more efficacious for you to directly go after what it is you really want. You know, when you find out, well, I want truth because, when you find the answer to that because, then just go directly for that and uh, leave truth out of the equation. Don't be disingenuous about it. Yeah, and what is, uh, yeah, my thought would be that the likelihood that a person could have that honest conversation with themselves is pretty low, that you really need someone to, a friend to talk over that with. I, I couldn't agree more, um, and that's, that's true friendship. Yeah, when you can, when you can talk about things like that, and and uh, when the person who's kind of receiving the advice can actually be in a receptive mood and can hear, you know, uh, those with ears will hear and that sort of thing. But I, I think it's extremely valuable to have a, a spiritual friend, a mentor, a teacher of some kind that can give you some help. I call it guided self inquiry. So that, you know, the, the second person, the mentor, the friend, you know, can ask the questions that take you deeper, the questions that you would not ask yourself because part of you doesn't want to go deeper uh, and uh, another part of you um, doesn't know how, uh, hasn't been down this road before. Uh, serious self-inquiry is not something that most people are in any way familiar with. Um, and so just the, the process of self-inquiry, how do you do it? Um, is a, a foreign thing to a lot of people, let alone doing it at the level of um, wanting ultimate truth. And so if, uh, so one's intention, could one's intention be a question? You know, I, I, I intend to find the answer to what is, uh, where do thoughts come? You know, could it be something that abstract? Uh, if that's yeah. what you really were after? Uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> what I would say is uh, it's, it's not necessarily the same thing, but it's uh, something that goes hand in hand and parallel with your intention um, is, would be uh, a question, um, a koan, a, one that a question to the divine, to God, whatever, to how, whatever higher power that um, you imagine. Um, that can only be answered by a direct experience, that cannot be answered intellectually, uh, that cannot be learned. So in other words, if you ask a question, that, that the only possible answer to that question is a direct experience of what you're asking about. 
um, that's a very valuable thing to do. Um, um, so, like, you know, mine, it turned, I, I think all, <clears throat> all questions like that ultimately are some, uh, have the root, uh, uh, the root question being, what am I? Uh, who am I is more popular version of it, but I say, what am I? Because who presumes there's a person there? If you say what, then you take that out, you strip it down as far as you can, say, what am I? Um, and that's, that's a question that cannot be answered by books by anybody else. It can only be answered with the direct experience of your true nature. Uh, there's no other way to answer that. Um, and so there's a lot of different variations of that. The, my particular variation that kind of haunted me during my seeking years was, what's really going on here? I just had this powerful feeling that I was not sensing and perceiving the truth about what was going on. And I wanted to know the truth about what was going on. And my way of phrasing that was, um, you know, uh, what's really going on here? And I would often throw in some curse words in there, too, just to give it some extra power. Um, but so, yeah, it's a, you know, I, I think a question that can only be answered by a direct experience um, is a very powerful uh, tool along the way. Uh, and then in regards to confidence, that's that's something that uh, a personality like mine has a lot of trouble with. How do you cook up <laughs> the confidence that, yeah, I can actually do this? I know you mentioned that seeing other people, seeing peers, seeing ordinary people uh, accomplish, accomplish what they were after was very helpful to you, uh, but... You know, on a day-to-day, on -day, uh, in the day-to-day -day realm, my confidence can range from, yeah, I can do this, to this is absolutely impossible. Is that, I mean, that just seems like just the way it is for me. Is Can that change? Is uh, Or is that, you know, the struggle to have confidence? Is that part of the formula? Well, all of that, I think. Um, and yeah, it's, um, I think it's the way it is for all of us. You know, we waft back and forth bet between, you know, I can do anything and, and I'm helpless. <laughs> you, know, it, you know, our lives take place on that, you know, somewhere on that spectrum in any, any given day. Um, I think that you can, a person can um, uh, incorporate a, a habit of confidence, a, a habit of self-confidence in the world. And I don't know any other way to do that, really, except to uh, take small challenges uh, upon yourself. And this is, you know, obviously the challenge of realizing ultimate truth is um, not where you start. But take upon yourself small challenges that um, you think are maybe beyond you or do something that you're afraid of doing um, and, and conquer it. And uh, uh, just kind of uh, one step at a time. Uh, build your confidence in that way. Um, and I, I think it's surprising how, I think people would be surprised how quickly that can happen. You know, uh, small, small victories are priceless. And, um, you know, some, I, I'm surprised, you know, at myself sometimes, you know, I'll feel um, overwhelmed by something. Um, and just think, you know, I don't even want to start because, you know, this is beyond my capacity and I don't want to take all the time it's going to take to learn this. And I have all, you know, I, I just can't do it, you know. Um, and then uh, the next day I'll say, well, okay, I'll just open that up. I'll open that program up and I'll, you know, I'll try to learn the first step and see what happens. And, and the next thing you know, you're in it and you end up doing it. And, um, and then after that, you you have a little bit of a bigger platform to stand on for your next challenge. And of course, you don't wait until you get to some huge platform before you ask for truth, before you ask for self-realization. You're doing that all along the way. Um, but I think it's hard to it's hard to build confidence about that because it is so abstract and we, it's so firmly ingrained in us um, that uh, it's for special people. Um, and it takes a it takes a lot to get over that as far as uh, you know dealing with uh, ultimate betweenness and um, ultimate truth self realization that sort of thing. So it's a tall order, and but it's the, it's the same for everyone. You know, we even the most confident people 
uh, in the world uh, deal with uh, you know self-doubt uh, all the time. Uh, so we can't we can't get down on ourselves for that. That's the that's the mechanism um, that we're you know born into. Yeah, and I think the the crux of my question was, uh, you know, if I have a day where I just don't feel like, I just don't feel like I can do this, this is more than I can handle, has that somehow ruined the formula? Or is that, again, is that, that's just the way that just happens and move on? Absolutely not. It doesn't ruin anything. Uh, a, a step in the direction towards truth is never reversed. Um, you can't you can't ruin the formula. You can't interrupt the process. You, you can't go backwards. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. So you never have to worry about. Well, today I had no confidence, or today I had no gratitude. It, it's not. It doesn't work that way. It's not something that builds on itself until you wake up one morning and you, all of these things are running at a hundred percent in you. That just never happens. Um, so it's always a back and forth. It's always a give and take with all of these four elements that I've, I've talked about. Um, and, and there's never a complete victory until um, some, you know, period of literally seconds, you know, maybe minutes, but literally seconds or minutes where it all sort of happens by itself. And, and you become what I call vulnerable to grace. And you become vulnerable to grace. Uh, it puts you that that state of betweenness where everything's hitting on all cylinders uh, is, you know, I think magnetic to grace. Uh, it's it's mechanically attracted to that state of being, and uh, whatever your intention uh, is that brought you to that state of being will be granted. Uh, there's no, there's no, it's, it's not some anthropomorphic being waiting to see if you're worthy or anything. It's, it's, it's mechanical or chemical, whatever you want to say. Uh, there's nothing that can be done to stop it uh, once the, the, the tumblers fall into place like that. So you never have to worry about um, having a bad day or, hey, I haven't even, I haven't even thought about, you know, my intention for two weeks, you know, or whatever. You don't have to worry about that. It's always there, picked to be picked up right where you left off, um, and actually is 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 going on in the background all the time, whether you are actively stirring the pot or not. Um, you know, once you start this mechanism, um, it, it has the flywheel holds momentum, even when you're not turning the crank. Uh, that's helpful because I I think from talking with people about law of attraction work that I came away with the impression that oh well you know the reason you didn't get what you wanted is because you didn't have utter and absolute faith and confidence you allowed in a thought that it might not happen and so it hasn't happened yet sorry yeah i think i think it's it's good that all the talk about law of attraction came out made people aware of something that's a you know that's a a law of nature um but i i think it's been treated very lightly and um you know people know people just give it a lick and a promise they don't they don't really understand it and they just think oh well i'll i'll just use it to get a good parking place or whatever and and then they'll hear a story about somebody that did get a good parking place but they didn't so what did i do wrong and all that sort of shit you know so i i don't i don't think that's you know i don't think that's particularly valuable on that level you know if you if you give a superficial person that sort of um potential power they're just going to try to use it superficially and it's not going to not going to really bear fruit in any way um so it's really you know it's uh it really bears a lot of study um a lot of practice and you just can't and there again that part about indifference you can't expect results you know you hear over and over again well i tried law of attraction for a few weeks but it didn't work for me you know, well, okay. <laughs> you know, that's a this is this is a lifelong thing here. If, if uh, it's a law of nature, and you want to align yourself with the laws of nature, and you can't demand to have trinkets and baubles uh, fall into your lap because you had a, a whimsical thought about it. Um, and by the same token, there is an element of your intention that I think is important to mention. Um, and that is that when your intention is uh, infused uh, with emotion, um, it becomes uh, more powerful. Uh, 
So if you have an intellectual intention, uh, it can be very powerful. Um, and, uh, and yet uh, it doesn't have its, its maximum power until it's um, infused with a powerful emotion that, that amplifies it and, and parallels it. So that is one way of amping up your intention is to have it be um, very, have it full of emotion. I'm very curious to to hear from you how you see that Richard Rose's idea of backing away from untruth fits in with with what I see is a you know maybe a contradictory thought of you know I intend for this to happen while Rose was very much about you know you don't know what you don't know what the answer is. You don't know what the truth is. And the best you, you can do is to identify what's not true and back your way into it. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, and that is the process. Um, I think that's where, uh, you know, if you're kind of trying to move these two things into the same paradigm or the same box, um, the backing away from untruth, you know, has to do with uh, a lot of things in your your manifest life. You just learn what bullshit smells like and you, and you leave it alone. And that's a, a, a slow process on the manifest level. You know, you have to learn what's doing your your seeker life good and what's what's hindering your seeker life, and you back away from it. And on the uh, on the level of um, teachings uh, and that sort of thing, which if there's myriad teachings out there, obviously, if you start looking into things and uh, you know reading and teachers, and there's all sorts of seemingly conflicting advice, and you have to sift through a lot of that. So the process of backing away from untruth is very valuable there as well, because you, you might you might give a teacher or a book a try for a few months and you go, you know what, that just doesn't sound right or that, that doesn't resonate with me. And so you drop it, you move on to the next thing. Um, as another Rose quote is, uh, you know, turn over every rock. Uh, you don't just stay with the first rock and just keep looking under that rock, even though it's not doing you any good. So uh, if a rock kind of has a sniff of untruth to it, then you move on to the next one. And I think another thing that's worth saying is that your intention for truth or self-realization um, should not be prescriptive in any way. In other words, you're wide open as to what that means. You have no idea what truth is, obviously. You don't know if it even exists, or you, you might not recognize it if it hits you in the face. I mean, you're, you couldn't be more clueless about what you're asking for. And so um, it's important not to prescribe how it's going to happen or what you think it's going to be like. And of course, the worst um, offenders at that sort of thing are religions and, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, very uh, tight uh, traditions that try to tell you what it's going to be like. Um, and, and truth is just laughing at you. Truth will not fit into a, a, a pre-described paradigm. It, it is what it is. And if you have ideas about what you think it's going to be, um, it's either going to blow those away if you're lucky or uh, keep its distance as long as you hold on to those beliefs. That's why I also say all beliefs are bad. If you have a belief about truth or a belief about anything else, actually, uh, get rid of it. Um, you're, if you're in a state of belief, you are not vulnerable to grace. And, uh, of course, the, the whole thing is to become vulnerable to, gra to grace. Mm, yeah, that's very helpful. I appreciate that. So one's uh, one's intention could could really almost be a, a feeling that we're trying as best as possible to put words to a longing or a desire. Do you does that make sense? Absolutely, yes. And and the intention is is much more of in this case of ultimate ultimate betweenness uh, is much more of a feeling and a, an emotion, a longing, a you know, a, a whiff of home cooking, and by God, you just got to find out where that home is. And um, it, it can be put into words, and it's useful to be able to put it into words. Um, as, but the words have to be as simple and as all-encompassing as possible. You know, no prescription whatsoever, no expectations, no nothing. It's just, you know, what am I? 
you know, I, I, I want to know truth at all costs. I have no idea what that means or what it's going to cost me or what truth is. But for some reason, a reason I can't describe or even understand, I want truth at all costs. Now, this essay, uh, the ultimate between this essay, I believe you, you wrote in the intro to it that it, uh, that it came from a talk that you gave, I think, back in 2007. So uh, the talk and the, the essay have been out there a while. I'm curious if in the years between, have you seen any um, uh, patterns, if you will, in terms of what trips people up if they're, if they're trying to do this? Well, to be honest, I think the whole thing trips people up. It's a, I, I get a lot of uh, you know, questions about it and, and curiosity about it because it is a, it's a compelling concept and it's a compelling topic, especially when it's applied to self-realization. Uh, and so the, there's a lot of interest in it because it, it appears, at least at, at first blush, and it turns out it is actually, um, a bit of leverage we have over something we actually have no control over whatsoever. I mean, um, we have, as much as we do as seekers on the path, uh, we have absolutely no control over uh, whether we ever uh, wake up. That's always grace. It's always an accident. Uh, as Rose says, there's no formula for a lightning bolt, or no recipe for a lightning bolt, I think it was. Um, and so we, we do all these things, but we're not the, none of our efforts are ever going to work. Uh, but the idea of ultimate betweenness holds out the possibility that this has some leverage, and I think it does have a you know a micron of leverage over the the final outcome. It it puts us in a, a state of mind where a state of being, I should say, it puts us in a state of being uh, where uh, grace can take pity on us, where grace can actually be mechanic mechanically attracted to our state of being, um, and so it has a a, a lot of there's a lot of interest in it. What I found is people, you know, ask questions about it and, and want to know how to quote unquote do it. Um, that the biggest stumbling block is a, a basic uh, misunderstanding or, or not enough of a depth of um, feeling about what the, what the state of being is. You know, I think if you can just even just in meditation or you know, as part of as part of your self inquiry or whatever, just feel around inside in your inner life and in your mind and in your inner state of being. Feel around to what it might feel like if these four aspects that I talk about were in place. You know, what would that feel like? Um, and I think that's probably more uh, helpful than trying to perfect techniques for each aspect, for instance, or something like that. Feel what it would be like um, if all these things were in place. Just pretend. Pretend that those things are in place, and what does it feel like? And you can even, you can even make that part of your prayer. You know, make that a question. Make that a question. What does ultimate betweenness feel like? Can be a question you pose to the divine. What does ultimate betweenness feel like? What does it feel like? Now, that can't be answered with a book or with an interview or anything else. It can only be answered one way. The divine has to let you feel what ultimate betweenness feels like. So, you know, those, that's how you, that's one of the great ways to use prayer, you know, and it's, it's these kinds of questions that can only be answered with a direct experience of what it is that you want to know, feel, or be. Well, I mean, do you still feel like, uh, this essay is basically uh, your your best articulation of of your path. Or, uh, well, my core question is: Have you got any other nuggets that have surfaced <laughs> over the past decade that you know you got it on a piece of paper in your back pocket? Well, you know, um, I, I don't know that that's really you know, my, my best nugget or anything, it's attracted more attention. Of course, I, I don't really talk that much, uh, in public, at least anymore anyway. And so, uh, you know, I have a lot of audios from a year's, uh, from one year or a year and a half or something. Um, our weekly meetings were recorded and those audios are out there and I'm, you know, hopefully there's some nuggets in those. Um, and a certain number of 
of videos that have been preserved. Um, you know, some some of the tat talks, and of course the two interviews that you mentioned, and that sort of thing. And there may be some things in there. I I, I just don't, you know, I don't have any, uh, even on this side of things, so to speak. I don't have anything that I can point to directly that is like, oh, look, if you keep this nugget in mind, uh, you know, you're good to go. Uh, there really isn't anything like that. And, and besides, it's everyone's path is absolutely unique. Uh, it's almost as if, and maybe this is the way it happens. You know, you're born into a specific maze, you know, this, this puzzle maze that includes your mind, body, and the circumstances of your life that you're born into and all sorts of other things you have absolutely no control over. And uh, your mission, should you accept it, Mr. Phelps or whatever, um, is to uh, find your way through this very unique maze that is your life. Find your way through this maze to truth. And there's certain meta principles that can be applied to, to making your way through any maze. Um, but the things that are going to do you the most personal good are very specific to you personally. And so uh, that's why, you know, one-on-one -on -one discussions and guided self-inquiry and that sort of thing seems to be the, the best way to help someone else get at it um, because it is a very personal sort of thing. Um, at the at the TAT um, gathering that's coming up that uh, you invited me to speak at, um, I'll be talking about... Um, a lot of different, um, I'll have a lot of words and lists and things like that that'll lead me into talking about some of these aspects of that have nuggets and that sort of thing. Um, and but even I've just tried to organize things that are out there for people's consideration. And if a, you're an earnest seeker and you're really looking into these things, I've tried to organize and prioritize some of the things you're inundated with that people are saying are going to help. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. So anyway, I've tried to provide a little bit of clarity, at least from my perspective, on those things at the TAT Talk uh, coming up. Um, so I will be talking about that more. But there's no one or two or three that uh, pop, comp well, I take that back. There's the first category that I talk about is the four cornerstones that I think are important for, you know, every path. And one of them is betweenness. And I've already talked about prayer. Another is prayer and self-inquiry, which we've always already talked about or, or touched upon. And the fourth is inner silence. Uh, which is the medium of transmission and uh, forming a habit of inner silence uh, as part of your life, I think, is is also uh, very helpful. Um, and then I'll talk about what I call the five strategies, which are more specific kinds of things that uh, you can do that I think uh, can be efficacious. And then we, we move down in priorities from there to, uh, you know, what I call the six habits, uh, which are sort of... Uh, you know, ways of being that is, are di more difficult to practice, but you can notice uh, when you're in or to kind of steer yourself towards. Um, and then uh, the next step down, so to speak, are the seven resolves, which are sort of things that are worded like uh, almost like resolutions or something, things you can do in, the, in the, your manifest life that may or may not help you, help position you for an experience of truth. Uh, and then the final category I talk about is the eight side effects. Not, and mostly I do that because these are things that sometimes are prescribed as practices, but I don't think it's um, particularly helpful to spend a whole lot of time trying to practice them. They're things that can't really be practiced. They're things that come of themselves as side effects from these other things that you might do on the path. Very nice. Uh, and thank you for mentioning that. I. Uh... I did want to tell people that if they want to see you live, uh, you'll be at the TAT Foundation's April meeting, which is the first weekend in April. And uh, people can find out more about that at tatfoundation.org. And I'll definitely link to that in the show notes as well. So, uh, yeah, that's coming up soon. We're doing this about a month ahead of that meeting. And uh, hopefully this talk will be up and available in a week or so for people uh if people wanted to uh you know if they want to get in contact with you uh are, are do you currently are you actively working with people or talking with people 
Um, <clears throat> yes and no. Uh, I'm, I'm not uh, doing any sort of outreach in any way on, on my site, selfinquiry.org. There's a consultations tab that, you know, people uh, can schedule a consultation with me. I, I charge for them. Um, but usually after someone's had a consultation, if, if we resonate and, and that sort of thing, then then we have a friendship. And after that, it doesn't cost anything. <laughs> so, uh, but, but I do a little triage, mm-hmm. I do triage on people by uh, asking that they pay for that first consultation. And um, I sort of decide whether um, I can help them or not. You know, I do everything I can during that first conference, uh, consultation, but, um, you know, unavoidably, I kind of do triage on on uh, everyone that might contact me, and um, some people I you know I may be able to help, but I, I'm not. I sort of feel like I'm my highest and best use is for people who are on this path and have been on it for a while and are so far in they can't get out, and they've kind of got that red hot iron ball swallowed halfway down, and there's no way but forward. Um, and they're, they're stuck with this. You know, I'm not an evangelist. I, if someone's just merely curious and that sort of thing, I, I don't feel like it's the best use of either one of our times, you know, for, for me to talk with them. Um, and, but someone who's kind of at the end of their rope, they've been doing this and they're, you know, they're, they're pretty well positioned. In, in a lot of cases, uh, they've done most all they can do on their own. They followed all the seeker advice and they may have been doing this for years and decades. Um, and I find that, you know, sometimes uh, I can, I can uh, give people a little, a little boost by uh, doing the things that I do with them. And so, yeah, so there's that consultations thing. Um, and, you know, since this is people that are listening to this podcast, uh, you know, are, are, are in that group I think a lot of them and I I don't mind people contacting me at all with email Um, and you can uh, contact me by email with uh, BART at uh, either of two websites BART at selfinquiry.org or BART at realface.com and uh, you know just tell me tell me where you're at and uh, we can have email conversations or anything like that Uh, if, if I feel like it'll be helpful for us, and I'm glad to do that. Oh, well, let's talk about Real Face Press for a minute. Uh, you you really blew me away when you said, uh, I think you said you have 13 different titles on the press now. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, I do. I had a flurry of publication recently. <clears throat> there are 13 titles on Real Face Press, and um, they basically fall into... Uh, you know, uh, four categories. Um, yeah, I, th- there was only three there for a while. There was only two for a while. I, you know, I self-published uh, Christ Sutras, uh, trans, uh, um, all of the sayings of Jesus arranged as sermons, um, and The Perennial Way, which is um, uh, an anthology of translations of mine of ancient Eastern texts. And they were just sitting there for by themselves for a long time. Um, and then uh, I helped Mike Snyder write a book, The Triune Self, and uh, published that. So there was three. And then I had uh, 10 uh, completed projects that had just been you know, on my laptop for however long that I haven't done anything with. And they fall into a couple of them have to do with Richard Rose. Um, three of them are edited. My, I've, I edited um, out of print uh books that I think should be preserved and I edit them and and, uh, and publish those, the edited versions of those. And then some more um, ancients. Uh, you know, I did the Bhagavad Gita um, and um, actually the, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Yeah, I, I, I'm doing the whole Bible, but since the first five books are its own thing uh, in the Jews, uh, Jewish tradition, I went ahead and published the first five books, five books of Moses, Moses as the Torah. And it's a very interesting project there. Um, it's a, a different a different look at the Bible. I call my version the uh, King James Reader's Version because it's a, it looks like an epic poem, and it is an epic poem. Actually, the Bible is an epic poem, but this is formatted such as such. And uh, it reads like, you, you think you're, you think you're reading the 
King James Version because it's got all that feel and, and, and language lilt. Um, but you just, you know, without really realizing it, you are, um, you're not stumbling over anything and you have more immediate understanding and you can read right through. Um, and so uh, I think that's a, it's something I'm interested in completing. It's a long-term project, obviously. So long way around saying uh, the Torah and uh, Bhagavad Gita are new additions to the ancients and the moderns are uh, Conquest of Illusion, Magic White and Black, and uh, Think and Grow Rich. And then uh, I also published a little book of poems of mine um, that kind of came through as a download about six months after I woke up. Um, and, um, and then I published a, uh, a screenplay of mine that, uh, that I, I just, I, I'm, I'm not going to try to get it produced anymore, but I thought I wanted an artifact <laughs> of this obsession that I'd had for so long. Um, and so I, I published a screenplay as a paperback. So all of that adds up to 13 titles. And the, re the reason I was able to do those 10 all at once, literally I did publish those 10 uh, in a, a space of about two weeks, not too long ago. I still haven't finished the uh, um, Kindle versions for them. Uh, so it's a relatively new thing. And what had been holding me back was um, I had been working with uh, a graphic designer. I designed my own covers, but I had to have a graphic designer put it in format where um, I could use it and because I didn't know the tools. Um, but I recently, uh, uh, I, I just didn't want to do that anymore. It was expensive and, you know, it was a hassle of back and forth and everything and all these 10 projects. Well, it was just too much to take, take on. Uh, so it was a case of one of those things where I thought it was beyond me uh, to learn how to do covers myself. But then I just took step one and then step two, and next thing I know, I'm, I'm creating my own covers. And uh, that just went like lightning. And, and in two weeks, I created 10 covers and published 10 books. Wow, that's really impressive. And uh, now are the the print versions, are they available on Amazon now? They are. The, the print versions are available on Amazon. There may be a couple of Kindles that are uh, available. And of course, I'll have everything. Uh, I'll have all the print versions with me at TAT, um, and they'll be reduced price from what Amazon has them for. Gotcha. And I do. Uh, I mean, I do definitely recommend uh, people take a look at those books because just the idea that you can have a person who's had a profound spiritual awakening go back and really. Uh, look at these ancient texts and bring them to life like the living word is what i'm trying to get at like there's the living word there and the the translation or or maybe the better word is uh transliteration uh, whoever does that has a profound effect upon the work itself if any if any of you ever looked at any of the different translations of rumi you'll you'll know what i'm talking about Exactly, and that that's what attracted me to it in the beginning. The first one, the first one I did was Ostravakra Gita, which I, I feel like, you know, I, I agree with the last words of of that text, which are "No more can be said," um, and that was what first uh, pulled me into this. Um, that and the fact that when I read all the different translations of it, none of them were saying it the way that I thought it needed to be said or that it was actually being said there was problems with everything so i i set out to you know um to do a better translation to do a better version um and then i i kind of got caught by the bug and, and kept doing it and kept doing it um and i think that i mean right now i'm i'm working on my own essays and my own writing that's part of what i'm doing i'm doing that and i'm doing the bible but prior to this um i felt more like it was important to shine light on these ancient texts, these seminal works that really everything else springs from. Um, and if you don't, you know, if you're just reading, um, you know, New Age contemporary, uh, you know, awakening stories or whatever, um, and that's fine. But uh, to be grounded in these ancient texts from which everything really springs, um, I, I think is really important. And then there's some uh, some of the what I call moderns, the three uh, books that are out of print and I've edited for and published, 
Um, I think there's things in there that don't get said. There's sort of not old fashioned, but, you know, it's um, people said things differently 100 years ago or 80 years ago or whatever. Um, and uh, uh, the wisdom that that's contained in, in these books, I think, uh, can be missed uh, because people struggle with the language or whatever. So um, so I felt like these were important books to keep alive as well. And so I applied some of that same um, energy and theory to m more modern publications. I don't know. If, there's nothing else that's outstanding in my mind right now that I want to do in that regard. Um, and really nothing uh, of the ancients that's right on the tip of my tongue that I think needs to be done either, except for the Bible. And I have no idea why I'm doing that, except that because um, I've never been a Bible person other other than Jesus. I did Christ Sutras. Jesus was an enlightened guy, you know, so I did that. But uh, the Bible itself, I just I never even read it. I, you know, I wasn't an aficionado in any way. But um one morning, I kind of woke up and got told to do it, um, and uh, I realized that you know what, uh, you know, these other things that I've been doing have sort of perfectly, perfectly positioned me to uh, take this on, and um, and I understood why I was being told to do it, and so I, I've actually, I'm actually enjoying doing it. It's a, it's a real joy, and I think the. Uh, the thing about the Bible to me is uh, not the religious aspect. There's, there's very little wisdom in the Old Testament, for instance, um, except for the, the wisdom literature, the Psalms and the Proverbs and that sort of thing. There's good stuff in there. But most of the uh, narrative and the prophets and that, uh, the law and uh, the Torah, you know, there's, you're hard-pressed to find any real wisdom in there. But this document, this called the Bible, the Old Testament, the Tonic, the Torah, whatever, this has had such a tremendous impact on civilization for thousands of years. You know, what we are as a society and as a civilization um, is rooted in this. And uh, when you read it and understand it, which I'm hopefully I'm helping people to do both more easily, um, you get an understanding of things that are, are not even in the, the text itself. You get an understanding about how the world works and why people are the way they are, because this has just been so infused into our being over hundreds and thousands of years. Um, and so it's a, like it's a really valuable foundational document. Um, but like I say, I, I don't recommend it as a source of great wisdom. Yeah, and I will definitely, I'll link to the different uh, books that you have uh, in the show notes. Um, so we got a lot of book recommendations for people. Uh, I'm always looking for any film recommendations. Do you have anything uh, that you've seen recently that you would point out? Well, I really don't, Sean, and I'm sorry about that. I used to watch a lot of films, um, and I don't anymore. Uh, and I haven't, I haven't seen a film uh, for probably several years. I mean, I, I, there's documentaries and things like that and YouTube things. I, um, but as far as a you know feature film or something that's readily available, um, I I really don't. I, I'm sure there's some good things out there, um, but I, I haven't don't have any recommendations on the tip of my tongue at all. The one thing that one reason I don't uh, do much of that anymore uh, watch uh, you know TV series uh, you know Netflix and things like that or. Um, uh, feature films, Hollywood films, um, because it's, I feel like it's, um, it's so propagandized. There's a, there's a, there's an agenda behind everything. And, uh, the programming of these things is so obvious to me that it's off putting. Um, I just don't, I just don't want people, uh, programming my mind and, you know, feeding me ideas that I, I think are ridiculous. They may be, they may be wrapped in wonderful, beautiful stories, but there's an agenda behind it, and and that is off-putting to me. Um, but there are there are moves afoot to make more genuine movies, um, and I'm sure that's coming. And I'm sure there's a lot of them out there. Uh, some documentaries that are out there right now, um, uh, I'm sure, are, are very well worth watching. I think that's probably the area that I would, if I got back to watching TV again and uh, you know streaming things. 
I think I would probably be most mostly focused on in, it, on documentaries about anything that I might want to know about. Uh, it's uh, and not just uh, you know truth. I don't I don't really watch anything about spiritual stuff anymore. <laughs> so, sorry to say. Sorry to say. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you can definitely tell a lot of times within five or ten minutes, oh, I know where this story is going. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what they're trying to make me think <laughs> mm-hmm. or be- mm-hmm. or believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Well, I don't, uh, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I'll just leave it. Uh, I'll leave it open to you if there's any final words that you want to leave people with or recommendations uh, you've got the floor well <clears throat> i really don't uh, I, maybe i'm a bad interview for that reason but um i don't have a, i don't have anything that i usually say i usually don't do these sorts of things so i don't have anything ready to go and as i often say you know if i'm not actively asked to talk about this sort of stuff uh, i don't think about it um i just you know i, I just you know doing chainsaw work or you know whatever whatever happens to be being done, writing or whatever, and I don't think about this stuff in the abstract, and which is one of the biggest benefits. I always say you don't really get anything out about self-realization. The one who, the one who wants enlightenment doesn't get anything out of it. It doesn't have anything to do with the character that wants it and prayed for it and everything. And, and so you don't get anything out of it, really. You're not enhanced in any way, and you know, your problems don't go away, and none of your, you know, sketchy emotional wiring gets cut and smoothed over none of that stuff but the one thing i will say is it relieves you of the burden of being a seeker uh which is which is a great thing uh it's uh for me my seeking life was spanned 37 years and it became increasingly over that time an obsession um that drove everything in my life and ruined things in my life because uh you know, if, if that's your priority, other things fall away, and sometimes the people around you don't appreciate what you let fall away. Um, but then, you know, once uh, a conclusive uh, spiritual occurrence happens, uh, all that falls away. You're, you know, you don't have to do that anymore. Uh, it's a, the burden has been lifted. And so a long way around of saying that I, I really don't think about these things unless I'm talking to you or other people about them or... Um, it's not something that comes up, and, and in the abstract, I, I don't have any anything that I would just say to everybody. You know, it's it's so, it's so individual. I know I said this before, but everyone's path is so unique. Um, that's why self inquiry and self observation and self honesty are so important because you are absolutely alone in this. There's friends that are doing it this, along with you, perhaps, if you're lucky to have a group and, and some friends that are also sincere about this. Uh, but every one of you are alone. You know, you're absolutely alone on this path. And if it comes to a, a conclusive resolution, you will find out that not only are you alone on the path, you are alone in the universe. You are the totality of all that is, and you can't get any more alone than that. So it's a completely unique uh, path that uh, you have to walk. And uh, if you're lucky enough to have Grace smile on you, you find out that you're the only thing in the entire universe. You are all that is, and you are alone. You are the totality of all, and you cannot step outside totality and take a look at it. Thank you, Bart. Thank you, Sean. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to this edition of Journals of Spiritual Discovery. I'm your host, Sean Nevins. For more information about today's guest, as well as more interviews, books, and other resources, go to spiritualteachers.org. That's spiritualteachers.org.